You are listening to the Teaching Little Brains podcast with Sarah Nickarak, episode 18. Hello, teacher brain. What a week. Last week, we talked about feelings, um, that the human experience involves a whole range of emotions, some we have deemed negative and some which we have deemed positive. And that if we want to live a full life, we need to be open to experiencing the entire spectrum. Well, this past week, if you're like me, you probably got ample practice experiencing, managing, and processing a whole lot of the negative emotions. Some of the feelings I was working with were sadness, despair, even shock, horror, rage, disgust, confusion, repulsion, bewilderment, overwhelm, guilt in the face of the outrageous, despicable, and incomprehensible murder of George Floyd. Now, let me just preface this by saying that I am vastly underqualified to be educating anyone on the race issue from any perspective other than my own, and that is limited. As such, I've been reluctant to say anything for fear of saying the wrong thing. Even now, my stomach is in knots. If I should happen to say something wrong, I am so sorry. Please understand, I am not an expert. I am doing the best with what I know right now. I am trying. I apologize for any ignorances that I may make in this episode, or any other episode for that matter, Um, and I'm trying to do the best with what I know. But through listening to the voices, those from the Black community that I have heard, That saying nothing, even for fear of saying the wrong thing, is the same as saying the wrong thing, or worse, doing the wrong thing, condoning the continued and systemic oppression of black people. And I certainly do not want to send that message. Everything I've heard has been encouraging everyone to have the difficult conversations and to be willing to get uncomfortable. And this is certainly uncomfortable for me. This is not an episode I ever wanted to write or record. This is not a conversation anyone wants to have. um, And I hope I never would have to. But this is so important. And while I'm extremely uncomfortable in talking about this, it was even more uncomfortable for me to sit silent. So here we are. I am trying. (laughs) Now, I don't watch the news on a good day, and I certainly was not going to start with the announcements of, like, the extended school closures due to COVID precautions. I see enough of the media version of things on social media and choose to get my information instead directly from the scientific sources. So in the face of this outrageous despicable and incomprehensible murder of George Floyd. I knew the news was once again not the place for me to go to seek the truth, um, to seek a true understanding of anything. Um, The flashes and glimpses I witnessed again on social media were enough. The hate, the anger, grief, fear, violence. So instead, I followed suit with the Blackout Tuesday and I took the time to research, question, investigate, reflect, and listen to those who know what it is like 
to live a life that I, as a privileged white Canadian woman, will never truly understand. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I am definitely not saying that racism does not exist in Canada because it most certainly does. I have seen it with my own eyes, especially when I was an ESL teacher to international students and newcomers to Canada. I had to interject in many a discriminatory interaction and remark. But ashamedly, as I reflect, I have not always had the courage to speak up against racism, racist comments or opinions, even if at times I have felt compelled to do so and felt sick afterwards. So I've had to take a long, hard look at myself as a contributor to a system that was designed to oppress people of color and others, normalizing discriminatory and inhumane behavior dehumanizing behavior and practices for centuries. But I only added Canadian to my identity to showcase the further privilege I am fortunate enough to experience solely based on the pure chance of being born in a free country, which puts me at already an advantage over billions of other people in the world. Now, as a woman, yes, I've been subjected to unfair treatment, occasional fear for my personal safety, annoying little and big injustices, injustices, but in no way could I ever truly comprehend what it is like to be discriminated against, often to the point of physical violence, at a systemic level over a lifetime based solely on the color of my skin. While I have learned about and shared the truth of white privilege, and if you're someone who is not familiar with that term or someone whose back gets up because you don't feel like your your life has been quote unquote privileged because you've you know experienced hardship and trauma, I just ask you this. Has any of your hardship or trauma been the direct consequence of the color of your skin and due to the color of your skin alone? And if the answer is no, and you are white, or you identify as white, then that is the privilege I'm referring to. And as a privileged white person, I know that I'm completely and inexcusably ignorant to the true obstacles and experiences of people of color and to my part in perpetuating the system that oppresses them. My past thinking that like, I don't use derogatory language and I don't participate in racist conversations and I don't support businesses or people who do was flawed and incomplete and far from enough. And as I've learned over the past few days um, and weeks from really opening my ears, heart and mind to the people educating us from the black community who shouldn't have to educate us, by the way, in my opinion, it's not their job. It's ours, especially 400 plus years into this. 400 plus years of incidences, injustices, atrocities, abuses beyond anything I have even ever had the horror to have to imagine in my fortunate life that they've been enduring. It is not their job. It is our job. And all the while, they've been trying to teach us and we haven't been listening. I mean, as a society, we have not been listening. And personally, I have not been listening. Not really. And I thought I was listening. Like, I mean, I'm a kind, compassionate, fair person. I believe in equality, not the same as equity. I don't feel like I treat anyone differently for any reason. Like I said, I don't use language that is harmful or offensive, and I certainly don't condone racist behavior. But that was not enough, not nearly. 
I can only claim to be not racist for what I don't do and have come to learn that that puts me squarely in no man's land. Not racist is a cop out. Not being part of the problem is not the same as being part of the solution. Not being part of the problem is also not being part of the solution. And if I'm not part of the solution, then I am part of the problem. So there is only racist and anti-racist. And to be anti-racist, I need to step up my game. I need to act accordingly. I need to do the good, important, and sometimes hard things, not not only not do the egregious, insulting, and unfair things. So this is where I have been hiding behind confusion, overwhelm. Like I ignorantly felt that if I weren't participating in protests, I wasn't doing enough. I don't agree with violent protests, but I understand the level of frustration, grief, fear, outrage, and enough is enoughness that instigates them for sure. And again, I have learned that there are many lanes on a highway and people can drive in different lanes as long as we're all driving in the right direction. And so I've been trying to come up, come to terms with what it looks like in a way that is authentic to me and still impactful enough to make a difference because I used confusion and overwhelm and thought like there's so much conflicting information out there and I don't know what to do. I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I was doing nothing. And I've been so scared at times of doing the wrong thing that again, it was almost an excuse to do nothing. So I need to do better. As Maya Angelou said, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. And I have always strived to do better. And that starts by knowing better. And that starts with education. So in my listening and researching, I have heard the calls to action and the various useful and meaningful ways I can contribute to the solution. And will that and and what will feel true to me. So supporting locally local Black-owned small businesses, signing petitions, writing letters to government officials and demanding review of policies that continue to oppress and demean people of color. And most of all, they say, educate. Educate myself, educate others. When people talk about systemic racism, we're talking about the whole system, every facet of it. We often hear that the system is broken. The system is not broken in, at all. It's operating exactly as it was designed. This is how it was designed to oppress and demean and dehumanize black people and others. But right now, it's the black lives that are in danger. So it's not about fixing the broken system. It's about creating a whole new system. And our system of education is right at the forefront of the problem. So this is my lane. I am an educator and it is up to me to disrupt this system, to take what I learn and do better. And as with all education, I begin with reflection. And in reflecting, I realize where I have been part of the problem. So in my teaching practice, I have certainly not excluded anyone. In fact, I spend weeks and weeks, as most of you do too, weeks and weeks building. We spend so much time building our classroom community. And I've treated all my little students with compassion and made a concerted effort to ensure that they all feel valued and welcome in my classroom. And I have prided myself on being fair, on treating everyone equally. And aside from ensuring we all 
share about our cultural holidays, not making a big deal out about, about their culture or racial differences. Although in reality, there's really only one race, the human race, um, the religion highlighting instead how we are all the same on the inside. But that's not the point, is it? Like I completely missed the point. In fact, it's not about not seeing color. It's not about being colorblind. It's about seeing it like really seeing it, understanding what it means and valuing what it means. And every time I treated one of my black students the same as I treated one of my white students, thinking I was doing the right thing, I didn't see color. And we've all heard that students need to see themselves in the curriculum and the resources in the room. But when you hear something sometimes over and over again, it kind of becomes chatter. Well, it is no longer chatter to me. So while I have in the past made sure that I had like posters and resources in my classroom that included um, people of different color, um, lots of visit visible diversity, provided packs of multicultural crayons so students could accurately portray themselves in coloring, and weeded out some books and resources that were openly and subtly um, offensive or exclusive, I did not make a truly deliberate and exhaustive effort to ensure I had enough of a range of read alouds, for example, that highlighted people of color in a positive light. And not just like overcoming struggle, but simply being a part of the picture. I did not ensure that I had at least an equal representation of white protagonists to black protagonist books or books by black authors. Um, now, it's not the white children, the advantaged ones, or the ones who even at their young age will never need to be prepared for how to interact with a police officer so as not to end up in a precarious situation. It's not those ones who will um, never experience the cautious and weary glances of others because of their skin color. It's not those children who sense the imbalance. It's those children already see themselves represented everywhere in our society. They see themselves in the media, in leadership roles, in positions of power or perceived power, as good guys, as superheroes, like we're everywhere. Those are the children who, like me, are raised in the system that favors us. We didn't, quote unquote, need to learn about these imbalances because they didn't affect us. And when we did learn about them, they were taught to us as historical events, things that happened like way back when, you know, like in the 50s, which is not that long ago. That was sarcastic. And we were disgusted, outraged, confused, and inspired to live in kindness. And we were taught to, quote unquote, treat everyone equally. But it is these children whom we need to educate the most so that not another generation grows up ignorant to the plight of our fellow humans, unaware of and detached from their responsibility to act in accordance with social equity. And as a grade one teacher, I felt and sometimes still feel torn now as a mother of a six-year-old um, because like I'm, I'm torn between like leaving these little brains in their ignorant bliss while they're all just friends and haven't been burdened by those deep and heavy issues and, um, and, and educating them on the sad realities that they have, that have existed in our world for centuries. I'm always torn between those two, but the books and discussions through which I have in the past chosen to address, we are all the same, but we are all unique 
kind of issues have starred animals and other cute creatures who felt uh, they didn't fit in or were ostracized for their differences. And we made connections to ourselves, but I didn't head on directly um, the issue of race and thinking that I was treating this like an age appropriate way, you know, of addressing the issue. But I know now that I was just a delusion because even children as young as six years old recognize such disparities. So in the show notes, I have linked to an infographic from the Children's Community School in Philadelphia that shares research findings that even at three months old, we start noticing race. So we look more at faces that match the face of our caregivers. And by kindergarten, children show the same racial attitudes as adults. So already having a sense of what groups hold higher status. Now, I know in the past that I've made the mistake as an educator of of young students of thinking that, you know, they're probably too young to discuss these issues or talking about race will encourage racism. But in fact, the opposite is true. Silence about race reinforces racism because if educated adults in positions of power do not address these important issues and show children the right and wrong aspects of our systems and societies, then we're leaving their learning about it to their own observation and interpretation, and they will draw their own conclusions based on what they see and hear from various sources out there. And what are they seeing and interpreting out there? What messages, open, deliberate, and subtle, are they receiving from their observations? Remember, our beliefs are formed by our thoughts and feelings combined and repeated over and over. So these thoughts and feelings mostly come from our observations of our of the behaviors and opinions of the people that we care about. So that's how things are passed down. Then these behaviors and opinions are reinforced by images in the media, for example, and our reticular activating system lets them in because they align with what we already believe. And it's presented as fact on like the news and by sources we believe are reputable. And it's skewed that way. It's purposely, shamefully skewed in order to perpetuate that belief. And it has worked and has become ingrained in us. And we know that 80 to 90% of our decisions and actions are made by our subconscious based on our beliefs. So if our children are seeing over and over that white people are superheroes, the people we trust, the people in power, and black people are the criminals, the poor people, the uneducated, and we're hearing things like the system is broken, what can one person do, you can't save the world, it's out of our hands, or I'm not like that, and not questioning them, what beliefs do you think they're going to form? What beliefs did you form? What beliefs do you think the officers involved in George Floyd's murder formed? What beliefs do you think the people who created and hold on to this system have formed? And what if they had a different educational experience? What if they had different examples presented to them through their loved ones, the media, and were taught to question their thinking and their beliefs and not just accept any old thought that enters their mind as fact, thus operating accordingly and perpetuating a system designed to empower some at the expense of others. 
Studies show that conversations with five to seven-year-olds about interracial friendships can dramatically improve their racial attitude in as little as a single week. Like, wow. So I know, despite my best efforts, with the way with what I knew at the time to create an inclusive classroom, which I thought was the highest level of honoring everyone. Now I know that to be belonging. Um, when my black students looked around their, my classroom for evidence that they belonged, they would not have seen enough of their own color in my room. Now I know better and I will do better. I realize that I was operating from my belief at the time that I was quote unquote not racist and that I needed, I need to reprogram that to I am anti-racist so that my automatic decisions and, and actions are to take action against wrongdoings to people. And as I said, there are many lanes on the highway to anti-racism. Right now, my lane is education educating myself firstly, my daughter, and anyone else who's ready to listen and join me. And I hope you are open and inspired as well to revisit and reflect on your own thoughts, beliefs, and practices. And I have linked some resources in the show notes and have come up with, uh, sorry, and have um, the ones that have come up repeatedly from my listening, learning, and unlearning this week, and which I have moved to the top of my reading list. I also watched a town hall hosted in part by President Obama, uh, in which he mentioned the hashtag eight can't wait, which is a project by Campaign Zero to ensure fair, humane treatment during encounters with law enforcement. And I was shocked at some of the practices on this list that are not yet standard routine. Shock, which I think further, further reveals my ignorance. So the eight policies on this list can decrease police violence by 72%. And they seem so like no-brainers. They're, number one, banning chokeholds and strangulations, requiring de-escalation, requiring warning before shooting, exhausting all alternatives before shooting, the duty to intervene, which is much like our duty to report as teachers, banning shooting at moving vehicles, establish use of force continuum, and require all force to be reported. What? So again, the information is out there, and it is up to us to seek it out. Like Rachel Hollis says, ignorance is a choice, because anything and everything you could ever wish to learn is available online for free. Anything. So if you don't know something, Go find out. If you don't know where to start, check the show notes below. Click one and start there. Um, we have a responsibility to educate ourselves. And as educators, we have a further responsibility to educate others. And I want my students to know that they are visible and worthy. I see their color. I see their gender. I see whatever makes them unique. And I love them because of it, not despite it. I want them to see themselves when they look around the room and know they are celebrated for who they are and that they are not alone. And I know many of you may be feeling the same way I was, 
that you don't know what to do or where to start and you're scared of doing the wrong thing. And I want you to know that your actions don't need to be big to be meaningful. And I had to get coaching on my guilt around this one. So in fact, but in fact, some of the most powerful actions are the small, quiet ones. So I'm going to continue to listen and learn and unlearn, to question my thoughts and beliefs, to investigate other lanes of action against racism on this highway. And I'm going to review my classroom library. Now that we have everything home with us and are able to go through it all, I'm going to make sure that I have a healthy supply of read-alouds, not just about inspiring stories of Black people overcoming adversary, adversity, but just Black people being present in the story, playing and living like everybody else. And while I'm at it, I'm going to make sure I include characters of various gender ranges, books that include single parents, indigenous people, um, and stories, stories from different cultures and religions, books including characters with different abilities, and those that include neurodiversity. Where will you start? You have been listening to the Teaching Little Brains podcast with Sarah Nickrook. Be kind, be safe, be better. Until next week, bye for now.